Ultimately, it comes down to passion and determination, sticking to something. Nothing's going to happen overnight. I mean, there's the off chance you could get really lucky and your account could explode overnight. But I think sticking at something is important because that shows that you are passionate about it. And also being true to yourself. So, you know, not trying to create an account of someone you want to be. And then you can, from there, start to create a community and engage with your followers and talk to them. I actually find when I post longer captions or like, explain more things or share more information people are way more engaged because they want to learn from you and they want to engage with you and put their input in and hear back from you so I actually find it's being real with people and just even if you're being so raw and honest and admitting things you've done wrong or things you could have done better or what you need to work on people like to relate to other people that's Ellie Bullen and this is the Proof Podcast This week's guest on the Plant Proof Podcast is Ellie Bullen, or Elsa's Wholesome Life, as you may know her on Instagram. Ellie, or Elsa, is a jet-setting plant-based dietitian who inspires a mammoth community online through her food and travel-based content. She is one of the most well-known influencers in this space, globally. And the fact she's a qualified dietitian just further strengthens her work. If you're like me, then what you know about Ellie is probably mostly based around where she is today and not so much her past. So I invited her onto the Plant Proof podcast and we wound the clock back to learn about her upbringing in the northern New South Wales coast of Australia, her relationship with her twin sister, Lauren Bullen, on Instagram, gypsy underscore last, or how she ended up in the army, what inspired her to become a dietitian in the first place, her cookbook, and much, much more. So if you want to know more about Ellie and how she got to where she is today, you are going to absolutely love this one. I know I did. One of the best ways to track our health is to regularly get blood work done so we can take a peek under the hood and get a feel for the state of our cardiometabolic and hormonal health. You can do this with your local doctor or you can use a service like Inside Tracker. The nice thing about Inside Tracker is they make the process super convenient. You can organize their phlebotomist, a person who draws blood, to come to your house or office to do the blood draw. A few days later, your results show up in the Inside Tracker app, and they provide lifestyle recommendations based on whether a particular test is suboptimal, normal, or optimal. I've checked Inside Tracker's lifestyle recommendations, specifically the exercise and nutrition ones, and I can confidently say they are evidence-based and in line with the information shared in both my book and on this show. They even added ApoB to their ultimate plan, based on recommendation from myself and others. It's also nice to have all of your lab results readily accessible in one mobile app, making it easy to pull up past results and see trends and patterns over time. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon for this exclusive offer. That's insidetracker.com. 
patreon.com forward slash Simon. If you're a long-time listener of this show, you'll be well aware of the scientific evidence that supports a high-fiber, plant-rich diet for good long-term health. And while I certainly believe in a food-first approach, there is a role for supplements to help optimize the intake of specific nutrients and address any nutritional gaps. Enter Emil. Emil is a plant-based wellness company with a series of products to help you optimize your plant-based diet. Two of my favorite products being the Essential 8 Multivitamin and the Optimal Omega Plus. The Essential 8 contains eight key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall short in. And the Optimal Omega Plus contains a direct source of DHA and EPA omega-3s, same as in fish, but from algae. In fact, taking Optimal Omega Plus daily, which contains 750 milligrams of EPA and DHA, is equivalent to eating two to three pieces of fatty fish per week, in line with the nutrition recommendations globally. To get your Essential 8 and Optimal Omega Plus, head to theproof.com forward slash friends and follow the link which will get you an extra 10% off your first order. That's theproof.com forward slash friends. Ellie Bullen, welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast. Thanks for having me. I think we should quickly just paint the picture to the listeners. We're sitting here in Changu in Bali in a, a beautiful villa and we just had a, a great chocolate vegan smoothie. We did at Shady Shack. It was awesome. So we are super nourished and, and ready to jump into telling uh, everyone about your story and, and, and how you've got to where you are today. Most people would know of you as Elsa's Wholesome Life on Instagram. Um, you've got a spectacular feed and a, a huge community online. So I am super excited personally to, to learn more about you. So what better place to start than where you grew up? I grew up in Lennox Head, which is northern New South Wales, very close to Byron Bay, if you haven't heard of Lennox. And as a, as a child, what were your, your main hobbies or interests? And what did you do with your spare time? I was really interested in fitness. So through like my childhood years, I was really into running and competitive long distance running. And I also was quite interested in animals as well. I think my first dream job growing up was to be I wanted to work in a wildlife park and then my parents crushed my dreams by telling me I'd be spending my day scooping poo. So <laughs> I gave up that dream. And as a, as a kid, did you, did you play sport or what did you do from a, a physical sort of exercise point of view? I played some sports like soccer and touch football, but I was more so into running like, by, like not by myself, but single, what's that called? When you do um, one sport? Athletics. Athletics, but running basically. Okay. And I did training after school and um, little athletics after school and on weekends. I always trained with my sister and we had like a little training group with one of my friends and some of our other friends from other schools. And you've obviously got a a really heavy focus these days on on nutrition and and plant-based nutrition in particular. As a as a child and growing up in Lennox Heads, what what was the, the the standard meals that you know yourself and your your entire family siblings? What would you eat at home? Growing up, I ate what would be considered a normal diet, so um, probably you know the standard meat and three veg. I wasn't vegetarian growing up at all, um, but we did eat. My mum tried to cook healthy meals, so I probably grew up eating healthy. I remember 
packing sushi for lunch in primary school and all the kids picked on me about what I was eating because it was so absurd that no one had even heard of sushi back then. And in throughout high school, I used to pack my own lunch and I used to pack like salads and veggie fried rices and things like that. So without knowing, I probably was healthier than most people. I didn't buy junk food from the tuck shops. My mom didn't let us have junk food. But yeah, I, I guess at the time I didn't consider myself as a health freak. And did you go to school in Lennox Heads or was it in Byron Bay or? I went to school, uh, it's in Skenners Head, which is actually the estate I lived in, which is kind of between Lennox and Ballina, but it's where the two Catholic schools are. So I went to primary and high. And you're, you're an identical twin. I am. Your sister, Lauren, the one? Yep. Otherwise known as Gypsy. Gypsy Lust. Gypsy Lust. <laughs> yeah. <There we> go. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's easy to confuse you guys. Mm-hmm. What was it like, your, your identical twins, what was it like? growing up, going to school as a, as an identical twin? Well, we were kind of identified as the twins. Like people, I think to avoid getting us confused, they just call us the twins because then they couldn't make a mistake. Throughout school, we were always best friends. People would always get us confused and we had the same friends. We had the same interests. We liked all the same things. So we were kind of like it kind of felt like we were the same person, but as well, we do have our own personalities and the more people that do meet us do say like, you guys are like, you are the same, but you're also so different, like so different. And we did go through a stage in our teenage years where we were, I think we were exploring our own personalities and who we were as people. And we went through a stage of trying to be different. Like I dyed my hair dark brown and then I went back blonde and she dyed her hair brown and we oh, wow. tried to have different friends or tried to sort of put on a front in front of everyone that we weren't best friends. Yeah. Because I think we're just trying to explore being different people Unique, for a while. your yeah. own identity, so yeah. to speak. And going through high school, you sort of mentioned it before, but what did you have your, your eyes set on in terms of, you know, what you thought you would do as a career and where you would be in your 20s and 30s perhaps? Coming towards the end of high school, I wasn't, really sure about what I wanted to do. I was really interested in art and textiles in high school. They were my two favorite subjects. Um, and I was also really good at math. So I was kind of dabbling in whether I would do something math related and, but I didn't really feel passionate about it. I was just good at it. And then I also really wanted to go and study fashion, but coming towards the end, I thought, I don't know if I'm passionate enough to put myself through studying fashion full-time and whether the job outcomes of that would be that good. Towards the end of high school, they came around to our schools and sort of advertised that we could go and do a gap year with them if we wanted to and we could apply. And I was always going to apply for university, but this popped up and I was like, well, I might just apply and see because it sounds crazy and I'll never get in. I'm not like, I'm not a suitable candidate (laughs) at all. I'm studying art and fashion and I'm a small blonde girl. Like I just didn't think I was fitted for the army, but I applied just out of a joke with one of my best friends and yeah, ended up getting in. So yeah, wow. instead so, of going to university, I went to the army. <laughs> so what, what was, you know, your parents sort of reaction to that when you, when you went home and was this something that Lauren also wanted to do, or was this just unique to you? You, you thought I'm going to do the army. That's going to be my thing. It, it was unique to me. My sister was at a different school for the last couple of years of high school. So it was only through my school. Um, I can't really remember their reaction. I think they were more so shocked and like, good on you. Like, that's crazy, but like, that's a big deal. And 
but they're also really proud. And when I got through all the interview processes, because it's a very selective process to get in, they were just like, well, are you going to do this? Because you're in. And I was like, they're like, you can't pull out. Are you going to do it? It's like, okay, yep. I'm going to, I was 17 at the time. Like, yep, I'm going to do it. Like, why not? I think I've always had this attitude of like, not like holding back on something, just pushing through and going through with something because I don't know, any opportunity really can lead to so many different things. And yeah, I've always been open to trying different things. Okay. So I want to come back to that. I want to jump into what was actually involved in getting into the army and what the testing and whatnot um, consisted of. But first, the tell us about your, you went to a different high school to your sister for the last couple of years. Was that because the schools had different directions and things to offer based on what you wanted to do? Or um, Well, we both started at, it was called Xavier Catholic College. And then around year, I think it was year nine, we were playing up a bit. We were both really naughty and um, always in trouble. And I think we were trying to explore pushing the boundaries a bit. So we went, let's go to a public school because we can probably play up a bit more and won't be as strict. So we both moved and one of our other friends as well, we all moved over to this public school and we had friends there as well. And it was fun because it, it wasn't strict like the Catholic school, but the education level wasn't there for me. Like there just wasn't as much push to actually go through to U12 and to go to university and all that. So I think after about a year of being there, I sort of reflected and went, oh, I think I want to actually go back to my other school and you know, finish year 11 and 12 solid, solidly and concentrate on my studies. And we both applied to get back in and the principal actually only let me in. It was, oh, it, was, wow. it was really upsetting because we were like a unit, me and my sister together, and to have only one of us accepted was really tough. It was tough for me because I felt like really guilty and bad yeah, for leaving. Yeah. And it was tough for her because she felt like she'd been left out and hadn't been given the opportunity to prove herself. But I ended up going back and doing my studies at the Catholic school. And I think that's when I really turned around and really focused on studying and getting good grades and um, not partying as much or not being as naughty. Yeah. And you said you played up. Was this, is this the typical twin thing where, you know, you, you said you were good at maths. Was Lauren perhaps better at something else and you guys would swap tests or, <laughs> we you did, know, what happened? We didn't do that so much. Like we didn't swap positions. But I think having a twin and when you're the same age and you've got the same friends, it's easy to sort of encourage each other and peer pressure each other into doing naughty things. So we were sort of, yeah, I guess like peer pressuring each other to push boundaries and play up a bit as every teenage does a little bit, I guess. And yeah, we did, I did help her with things like that she wasn't as strong as and she'd help me with things I wasn't as strong at, but we didn't actually swap spots. We tried to fool some people at school and did it successfully. I think we swapped class for a day and the teachers had no idea, but. Well, are you guys, so you're, you're identical twins, yeah. um, but you know, you said you had different hair colors and things like that, but were, were you sort of that identical that you could basically do that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. People would be like, once, once people got to know us and individually they'd, and like associate you with your name and Lauren with her name, they'd understand the difference. But for people who just meet us, you know, here and there and see us both together, they'd just be like, I can't tell the difference. I don't know which one's which. Like, and they'd just be so confused. Like even there'd be times our parents would call us by the wrong name and they're like, oh, it's just because it was from behind. I'm like, no, you got confused. (laughs) So we're pretty identical. I think as we've grown up, we've like maybe grown apart a little bit in looks because we do come across, like the older we get, 
the more we come across people being like, oh, you must just be sisters. And we're like, uh. no, we're twins. They're like, no, oh, really? You look like sisters. And we're like, no. Like, it's like almost like insulting. Like, we're like, no, we're twins. Like, we look the same. That's funny. So interesting. early on the rebellious nature and now you, you, um, you want to embrace it more. Yes. <laughs> so what about, um, what about like boys and, and, and dating and stuff? Was there any, was there any funny stories or it was that, was there a lot of rivalry in terms of, you know, you guys are identical. Were you, were you sort of chasing the same boys, you know, through uh, high school? And Yeah. And yep. There's definitely, that happened a bit. Um, but there's also a bit of competitive in the sense that people were constantly judging us and comparing us. And that was kind of a bit of a negative aspect of people constantly being like, oh, which one's the prettier twin or which one's mm. the hotter twin? And it was kind of like, you didn't want to be compared so much. So I think that's part of the reason we were trying to explore being different, but we didn't have the same boyfriends or anything, but definitely would be interested in the same guy. That's definitely happened. And there is some funny stories. Like when I first met Jack Lauren's current partner in Bali, and I think I was making oats for everyone in the morning and I must've had his back to him. And Lauren was standing on the other side of the room and he walked up to me and kissed me on the shoulder. <laughs> and I sort of like jumped and was like, <gasps> gave him this weird look. And Lauren was like, oh my God. And then we all just like laughed because we knew what had happened. And he was like, oh my God, like fully freaked out. <laughs> if there are any twins listening and they're, you know, identical twins or, or twins that look very similar in high school, do you have any, you know, top tips for them in terms of dealing with it and, and look, you know, taking on those, those hard situations, like you're talking about the competitiveness and people comparing the two. Um, Is there any tips for those, those listening? I would say to embrace that you are twins. Like it's a really unique and amazing thing to have a twin. So I'd say embrace it. Like I feel pretty sad that we did try to sort of ignore it for a lot of our, of a lot of years or try to like brush it away and be different. Of course, you've got to explore your own unique personalities, but try to embrace it and, you know, present yourselves as a united front, but also to tell people if anyone is comparing that you don't want to be compared or just to say like, oh, we're we're different people. Like, I don't know, maybe just confront them about it because we never did. It was just sort of like, oh, I just going to ignore that people are saying. So you dealt with it sort of by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And we sort of just would sort of shut off about it, but I reckon just go at it. Confront people. <laughs> Confront it. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's jump back now to the army. So you you've applied for the army, you got mm-hmm. in, but tell us about what that process was like. What did you have to go away and do, whether it was mentally or physically, to actually get accepted? So to get in, it was a first, I think it was just like an online application. And like the questions were like, do you have your bronze medallion or like what extracurricular activities are you doing? And I wasn't doing anything like this. So I was like, I'm not like doing team sports. I'm not like the school captain. I'm, you know, none of those things. So I was like, I don't know if I'm suited. Didn't think I'd get through that. And I did. I don't know how, but somehow. And then you have to do a physical test. And I think just to get in, it was 10 male push-ups. And at the time I couldn't do one. And leading up to the test, you have to actually go into a local base and do it for them. It was a beep test, which I had no problem with because I liked running sit-ups I had no problem with. And then the push-ups where I was like, I don't know how it go. So I practiced every night and could do 10. Wow. And I was pretty proud of that. Cause I was like, you know, before that I couldn't even do one on my feet. So I got through that. And there was also like, I had to go up to Brisbane and do like interviews and would ask you questions about like guns and stuff. And I was like, I don't know anything about guns. Like 
there's just like so many things that I was like, I don't know if I'm suited for this. Like I'm not interested in guns. I haven't got family in the army. Like I don't know all this. I don't have an aspiring career to be in the army long-term. I just want to do this gap year. But anyway, I was accepted, had to do some aptitude testing and medical testing and all those sorts of things. So then once I got in, I had to go and do straight up basic military training that every soldier has to do. And so at this time, it was just after graduating school. I'd done schoolies, came back. And this is around the same time I met Alex, my fiance. We were just like hanging out as friends because we knew I was going away so for a year. What year was this? So, so we can 2010 to 2011, end of 2010, start of 2011. Okay. So you're around 25 now? Yep. 25. And, and then you, you ended up going to do the gap year? Yep. So I ended up got the final thing, you're leaving on this date. And I was like, okay, I'm doing this. And it was pretty, pretty daunting because I had grown up, spent like probably one night away from my sister my whole life. Like, you know, I hadn't been on my own, being my own person. And growing up, I was really, I'd call myself introverted and shy. I was like, especially in social or like group situations. So for me to go out and do this, it was kind of really scary. And that was probably another reason why I did decide to do it because it was kind of like I'm being pushed into an environment where I have to speak for myself, be my own person and sort of learn who I am. So yeah, I went and I think I remember going on the bus and I was crying because I was like, what am I doing? I'm leaving. I think that was the day Alex told me he loved me. And I was like, oh my God. So so you you met Alex at schoolies or where did you meet him? I met him at home. He was from Austinville, just nearby. And we went to some parties together and would just like hang out on weekends for about six months until I went away. And we were just hanging out as friends because we knew I was leaving and he was going to travel around Australia in his car by himself. So it's like he was going on his own little adventure by himself. And I was going on my own little adventure. Yeah. Um, but you guys connected straight away. Yeah. And, Got along and then, so well. And then you were separated. Yeah. So and we you- then we were like, dear John, <laughs> roll reversed, writing letters to each other. Yeah. I still have the letters. It's like a wad about as thick as my hand of letters that we would write to each other because that was the only real form of communication. So basically you get to the army, they take your, or they take your phone away from you, they take your clothes away from you and they give you your uniforms and your your bunk bed and you are another little soldier. If you've tuned in to the many episodes I've done focusing on cardiovascular disease, the leading cause of death globally, you'll be well aware that ApoB is a better biomarker for measuring our risk of having a heart attack or stroke than LDL cholesterol. The only problem is that not every pathology lab is set up to test ApoB levels. Fortunately, this has now been made easier by Inside Tracker, a leading health and wellness company founded in 2009 by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, MIT, and Tufts that provides lifestyle advice based on your blood test results. With the new edition of ApoB, Inside Tracker's ultimate plan now analyzes 44 biomarkers, including metabolic health markers like HbA1c, triglycerides, and blood glucose, important nutrients like vitamin D and iron, as well as hormones like cortisol, sex hormone binding globulin, free testosterone, and total testosterone, before giving you science-backed lifestyle advice to optimize your health and longevity. Your data tells the story of your health. With Inside Tracker, get to know your story and create a lifestyle that delivers better health for longer. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started and redeem this offer, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. 
That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. Hey friends, the scientific evidence on lifestyle habits that lead to longevity is clear. Now it's time to put this knowledge into action. I'm excited to announce the Living Proof Longevity Challenge, a 12-week program to build evidence-based lifestyle habits to optimize longevity. My team and I have transformed over hundreds of hours of conversations with experts on aging, nutrition, and exercise into a life-changing 12-week program that will challenge you to develop habits that lead to a longer, better life. This is a unique opportunity to gather health data about yourself that has the potential to change your life for the better. You'll start by testing 10 longevity biomarkers that tell the truth about where your longevity stands right now, today. Following that, you'll get a personalized longevity score to guide your 12 weeks of habit building that will boost your score and improve your biomarkers for the better. After the challenge, you'll retest your 10 biomarkers and see the proof of how powerful these science-backed habits really are. Head over to theproof.com forward slash living proof to download your zero cost copy of the Living Proof Longevity Challenge today. That's theproof.com forward slash living proof. Look forward to joining you on this journey. So were you so was it was that a big thing giving away your phone in terms mm. of back then? I mean social media was sort of just coming around, but you, you probably wasn't so using much, it that the, much. Yeah, it wasn't so much the social media thing. It was probably just the contact with family and friends yeah. and my partner. Okay, so, so was, you resorted to writing letters. Yep. So, okay, so, so pen you, and paper. <laughs> okay, so again, where, where was the the camp at? Like, where did you go to? Kapuka. So it's like south of Sydney. Okay, south of Sydney. Wagga yeah. Wagga. And what did what did that involve? And how long were you there for? The full year. That that was the army training, which goes for eighty days. I think mine went for about ninety days because I failed some of the shooting tests and had to stay back. Because I wasn't a very good, wasn't a very good shooter with the um, steel targets, but the moving targets I was great with. Yeah, so wow. yeah, don't, what a fantastic don't run away. experience though, <laughs> to to go through that. It was yeah, and like the actual training itself was also really hard. Like they're trying to push you and trying to see if you'll break because they want obviously keep the strongest people. And there is people who can't tolerate being under that much pressure or having people yelling at them or. So people were walking out. Did anyone sort of not, yeah. not make it through? So, yeah. Quite a few, not quite a few, but definitely there was people who would just be able to not handle it because it's like a lot of emotional and physical stress on your body. But I was determined. Okay, so that was the, the 80, 90 day period of training. Yeah. Was that like what time were you getting up in the morning? How much training were you doing? What were you eating? Tell us a little bit more about that. So you get up at, I think the siren or the horn or whatever it is goes off at 6 a.m. And you had to, I think you had about two minutes to have your bed made, your clothes on and out the door standing still in a, like in the military, I can't even remember all the words anymore, but in the military position, waiting for them to come and like call your number or call your name. Attention. Yeah. Standing in attention. <laughs> that's the one. And, and then you would go, you had all different activities. So you're learning all different things, but then you'd go off to your first activity and you do physical training every day for like an hour all, t- all different types of things like swimming, or like swimming with your clothes on to see if you could, you know, save yourself. Military style, like commando training, circuit training, running, lots of different things. And I didn't find that aspect as hard so much. It was more the other sides of things like the shooting and things that I struggled with because I wasn't 
you know, I'd never shot a gun before. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and and what what kind of food was being served up? Are we talking some gourmet meals, (laughs) really nourishing food, or was it the same thing every day? I'd say uh, quite the opposite. The food, I think that was definitely one of the aspects that influenced me to want to study nutrition and want to eat a more plant-based diet because the food was very heavy. It was heavily meat-based and I wouldn't say it was healthy. I mean, they're trying to feed people who are doing a lot of strenuous activities. So in their in their view, it's trying to, you know, give you as much calories and food as you can get. But for me, I, yeah, I personally didn't enjoy it. I didn't see myself as a real big health freak or a vegetarian or anything. But I think during that time, I realized that actually maybe I was a bit more. Was that the first time that you thought, oh, hang on, I might be eating a little too much meat here or I'm not? Yeah. Not, yeah. yeah. I was like, I'd, I, I didn't like the way I felt with the food I was eating. And because you're in this camp and you can't escape it, you are sort of stuck to eating what they provide. And I remember halfway going, oh, I'm going to be vegetarian now because I just couldn't handle. And the vegetarian option was like the same every day. And like we went out field at the end for like 10 days and I remember eating the vegetarian ration packs and it was the same thing every day. And I was like, oh my God, but I would have preferred that than the meat option. So I was fine with that. Okay, so after the 80 or 90 days, what was next in terms of the army? Um, then we go off and do our training for our job. So like a, that was soldier training and then you do job-specific training. So I went down to Victoria and did training for my admin clerk job and that was another probably two months down in, it was called Bandiana. Bandiana. Yeah. That's the name of the area. Yeah. Is it Bandiana? Yeah. Okay. In Victoria. Yeah. Um, and then after you do that training, you're still living on base and doing the PT, like the personal training and all that sort of stuff. Um, but you have a bit more flexibility in the sense that you're actually allowed out on the weekends and after oh, wow. work, you can okay. leave base. Whereas the soldier training, we were able to leave, I think twice in the 80 days. And that was just for the day. It was a little less restrictive. A little so less you, restrictive. So you so sort of got a bit of social life back. Yeah. Then. Yeah. And at the same time, I was making lots of friends. There was other girls there who were doing the same thing as me and they were from different parts of Australia and I'm still in contact with them. Yeah, great. So I made some amazing friends through the experience because we all went through this, I'd say terrible, not terrible, but this tough experience together. Yeah. So it sort of formed a really strong bond. And were you still writing letters at that stage as your main form of communication? After after that camp, no. Then we had our phones. It was kind of like back, it's kind of like you're living on base, but you have some sense of normality that you have your own phone and yep. you're allowed to go outside the base after work, et cetera. Okay. And what was the, I mean, from an admin point of view, so you were learning ad administration mm-hmm. type of skills down there. What was, what was involved in that? That's sort of like you're doing the administration for like the soldiers or the different bases and stuff. So then you're training to be put into a base and work in admin. So you'll be like organizing documents and faxing things and yeah, basically like an office job. And I, hated it so much. Yeah, I picked it because it, women aren't allowed to do the soldier roles. There's a lot of roles that women aren't allowed to do and especially in the gap year. So I picked that job because it was basically that, between that and driving trucks. So I went for the admin job. But I think when I was in that job, that's when there was a stage where I was like, maybe I'll stay on in the army. And then when I got into the job of doing the admin job, I went, no, I'd like to leave as soon as I can. I'm really not enjoying this. You just told me about your scooter incident yes, in Bali. Yes. So I think avoiding the trucks was a safe option. Yes. <laughs> okay, so with, was, that, was the administration training down in Victoria the last part of the, the gap year? So it was the last part of the training. The training. And then we get placed in a base for the remaining time. So the, I think the rest of the time was seven months and I got sent to Darwin. Okay, cool. Which was awesome as well. 
And it just so happened that Alex was doing his trip around Australia and he timed it. He had timed it to end up in Darwin That's and good. he was living with his auntie there. And I moved up to Darwin with the army. So we basically got to live together for the next seven months in oh, awesome. Darwin. Oh, so you could live remotely. Well, or- I had a room on base, but I lived at his auntie's place. Okay, cool. For me, it was a very male dominated environment and I preferred to be outside of it, outside of work. Yeah, sure. And and what was what was that like? You know, being being on a base after you had been through all this training. Yeah, tell us about what you experienced in Darwin. It was it was good because it was such like a different place to live compared to anywhere else I've been. Like Darwin's a really cool place, but it's not really somewhere you want to be long term because you sort of run out of things to do. But I felt more like free or way more flexibility when I was there because I could leave the base as soon as I finished work and go to a home. And it felt more normal. And I think that's what inspired me to want to leave the army and go back home because I started to miss those things, like being able to just like see my family and see my friends and be able to do what I want when I want, eat the foods mm. I wanted to eat and not be stuck to eating the foods that I'm provided. Yeah. And and for the overseas listeners, I know Australia is so far away from everything. So it can sometimes be confusing to sort of think about where different cities are, but Darwin's right at the northern tip of the country <laughs> and Australia's a big country, right? So it's it's a long way away from Melbourne, Sydney, you know, even Byron Bay. It's, yeah, it's a it's long far. way away and it's very hot up there and, and humid. Now you you were you're at the base. And am, am I right in thinking that when you're there and you're already trained up that you're sort of on call, you can be sent overseas or I don't think in your first, I don't think in a gap year they could okay. tell you. I mean if the world went to war, yes, you'd be sent. But and that's what you're trained for in the sense that if anything was to happen, you're trained and ready that they can use you as a soldier. So that's why Was your day-to-day just continuing training and getting more and more skills or what were you sort of, once you clocked in, what were you doing? Then I was basically doing an admin role. So I was still in my army uniform and I was on an army base and I'd basically, we'd come to work and we'd again do our morning PT. So doing the physical activity every morning as a, as like a um, army base. And then I'd basically go sit in my office and on my computer doing my job, daydreaming about my future life. <laughs> okay. So on, on that note in the future life, what the, the gap year finishes Yep. and and what was next? Was that when you went and started to study or did you have some time off and then you went and studied or how did that, that transpire? I, from, from the army, I joined Alex on his tour of Australia in his wagon, his Commodore wagon. And we did the rest of Australia. So we went over to the West coast and then down the South coast and then all the way back up, Amazing, which was awesome. And we were literally living in a tent and the back of his car for six months. So that was lots of fun. But I think during that time is when I started applying for university and that was, yeah, I think around the time I decided what I wanted to study because I realized I was interested in nutrition because of the food environment I was put into and how I responded to that, that I went, oh, actually I do have an interest in food and healthy food and I want to, you know, be healthy. So that's when I decided maybe I want to study nutrition and I always knew I wanted to help people. So that's when I started applying to do nutrition and dietetics and wanted to have another year off though. Okay. And was it the the way you were feeling, like physically feeling after eating the food or was it what it looked like? What was the, the real inspiration behind wanting to eat less meat? I think it was how I felt and I put on a lot of weight or well, not a lot of weight, but for me, it was a lot of weight. So I remember just feeling so crappy about myself and I didn't feel like I had as much energy. And I think I just didn't realize how much I appreciated having access to whatever food I wanted to, mm. like eating fresh salads and being able to like, you know, make my own breakfast in the morning and 
like I actually realized I enjoyed those experiences. So I think it was more that sort of thing. Okay. So you, then you, you go back to, you, or you, you have another year off yep. travel, you, you go back to university mm-hmm. and you're studying nutrition. Yep. Nutrition and dietetics, dietetics. moved up to the Gold Coast to study Gold. there. Okay. And how long was that? Four years. Four years. Okay. Yep. Well, did my bachelor with honors. That's, you know, fairly, it's a, it's a mainstream type of course. Yep. What were you, were you learning and, and were you still eating a standard diet then or had you gone all the way to a plant-based diet and what were you learning? I think at the beginning of my degree, I was still, I probably wouldn't have labeled myself as anything, just maybe healthy eating, but I was mainly eating vegetarian. And I think in the first year is when I decided to stop because I sort of continued eating meat because I lived with housemates and they'd cook and it was mainly chicken. And I felt, I almost felt like guilty to not eat the food they'd cooked for me because I didn't want to offend anyone. So I was sort of more just like letting myself eat these foods because I didn't want to upset offend people. anyone. Yeah. yeah. And then it got to a point where I went, no, I don't think I want to eat these foods anymore. And I would start to like pick it out or like want to cook myself and try to do it in a nice, gentle way. Um, and then probably in my, probably still in my first to second years when I decided to go fully plant-based. So probably like three years ago, maybe it was probably in my second year, but I didn't do it overnight. It wasn't like a, I'm going vegan today. It was like. Transition. Yeah. It just of what felt right for me, what I was learning at university and wanting to incorporate that into my life, being inspired by other people on Instagram and wanting to start my own Instagram page. And it was kind of like a bit of a cascade of mm. transitioning. So when you when you were you know cutting back meat mm-hmm. and you, you you are studying nutrition, were you looking at it and going, okay, well if I'm going to stop eating the fish or stop eating the chicken or the egg, what do I need to be yeah. eating? Yeah, and we were learning those sorts of things at university. So although what we learn as a dietitian is very generic, it's for like the population health. There is ways and options to incorporate it to adjust to fit any kind of diet. So I was able to use that information. And of course, we're also learning public health subjects, which go into the more environmental side of things, as well as like the impact on populations and looking at things from more of a global aspect. And that sort of was probably more so what influenced me to go towards plant-based. You just mentioned then you were looking at people on Instagram and Mm -hmm. they were providing some inspiration and perhaps helping you with your own transition. Yeah. Can you remember anyone in particular that was that is of note that sort of inspired you? Well, I know the first raw cake recipe was one by Deliciously Ella. Yep. I made a raw blueberry and lemon cheesecake. And that was sort of the time when I was starting to experiment with making healthy raw vegan food and getting sort of excited about making art with food and taking photos of it. And she's got some delicious um, food in her cafes in yeah. London. Yeah, I haven't, haven't been to London, but yeah, she's a huge inspiration. She's got heaps of amazing cookbooks and a really successful blog. So I think she was a big inspiration for me to start blogging. Um, I also remember I followed Lonnie Jane. Okay. I loved yeah. all her stuff. I think it was a few other accounts, but I don't think they actually have accounts anymore. Okay. So there, was a, there was a handful there that were yeah. inspiring you. And when yeah. did you start Elsa's Wholesome Life? It was, I actually started an account called Elsa Fitspo and it was a, <laughs> it was a fitness, more so a fitness and food page. So it was probably more fitness, but a bit of food. And I started that because I was yeah, experimenting with food at home and taking photos of it. And I was also working out a lot and taking photos. And then that account, I don't know how long I had that for, but it got to about 10,000 followers, which at the time was really big to me. 
And what were you what were you sharing? It was mainly you were sharing fitness tips. Fitness tips. Some photos of your food. Yeah, food, okay. some recipes. People starting to ask for recipes. So I was starting to be like, oh, okay, I should start sh- sharing some recipes. Yeah. Entering competitions. It was like, it was pretty new back then. But you were sort of doing it as a passion and. Yeah, it was just a whole little hobby aside from university just to sort of keep me interested and inspired. And no doubt people were messaging and commenting. Yeah. What, what was, was the early feedback sort of, there was enough of it that you were like, oh, hang on, maybe, maybe I can actually make something of this. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually when it got to about 10,000 followers, it got deleted, the account. I don't know why Instagram would never give it back to me or explain what happened, wow. but it, just one day I woke up and it was gone and I was so crushed. And I remember like just like dwelling on it for like half a day and then being like, oh, well, better just start another one. It's not going to. Nothing's going to happen. So I started another account and I remember Lorna Jane Active was really big at the time and they did a post telling everyone to go follow me because my account got deleted. Oh, wow. And within a day I was already past what I originally had. So I remember being like, whoa, like that's awesome and feeling instantly inspired again. And that's when I branded myself as Elsa's Wholesome Life and started the Elsa's and Wholesome cascaded Life. cascaded from there. Yeah, yeah. And then that's it just grew from there and people were interested in recipes and I sort of cut off the whole fitness side of thing and just concentrated on the food because that's what I was learning at university. And I wanted to keep my workouts as my me time to just concentrate on having some time away from my phone. So I just concentrated on the food side of things. Okay. And and you've built a, a huge community now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know people would, would definitely be sending a message and going, how do I do what you've done? Yes. <laughs> um, which is very hard to answer in one sentence or one tip because there's, you know, a combination of things that would have happened over years. Yes. But what advice would you have for someone who, whether it's nutrition or any other style of social media page, whether it's on Instagram or not, Mm -hmm. just in terms of building a community, what are some of your your top tips there? I think like there's so many things you could say about how to do it and there's no wrong or right answer, but I think ultimately it comes down to passion and determination, sticking to something. Nothing's going to happen overnight. I mean, there's a chance you could get really lucky and your account could explode overnight, but I think sticking at something is important because that shows that you are passionate about it and also being true to yourself. So, you know, not trying to create an account of someone you want to be, actually being authentic. Yes, because that'll stick and people will see that. And then you can from there start to create a community and engage with your followers and talk to them. I actually find when I post longer captions or like explain more things or share more information, people are way more engaged because they want to learn from you and they want to like engage with you and put their input in and hear back from you. So I actually find it's being real with people and just, even if you're being so raw and honest and admitting things you've done wrong or things you could have done better or what you need to work on, it's yeah. people love so being a little vulnerable. to relate. Yeah. Yeah. People like to relate to other people. And uh, no, I mean, no doubt the listeners will, will want to know is is Lauren, so Gypsy Last, is yep. is she also plant-based or what's what's her, how does her diet different? Her, she's, she's mostly plant-based, probably like, I don't even know, you couldn't really put a percentage on it, but she's definitely mostly plant-based and she was definitely influenced by the way I ate. At the moment though, she eats seafood and fish because she was recently diagnosed with a condition that requires her to eat a high protein, low carbohydrate diet and to have some of those ocean-based minerals and fats but predominantly yeah I'd say she's plant-based as well and you guys I mean did she start her Instagram community around the same time it was a little bit after me I think I had been doing it for maybe six to twelve months 
and she seen what I was doing. And at the time she was living up in North Queensland in Cairns and she was just like working a dental, dental hygienist job, a dental assistant job. And she was like exploring a lot, going out, snorkeling, free diving, those kinds of things. And seeing what I was doing with Instagram and was inspired to start her account. And so she decided to make it a travel adventure account and decided to make it Gypsy Lust. Yeah, and she's done an amazing job. Yeah. So if anyone isn't following her, head over. I'll put both Ellie's and Lauren's Instagram profiles at the bottom of this podcast link. But yeah, jump over if you want to see some cool adventure and um, (laughs) travel inspiration. (laughs) Some amazing places. But you guys both travel the world. Yes. Um, You're currently based in Bali, but you, you hop around the world with your fiance. You've just got back. Mm-hmm. What's, what's your, your favorite places that you visited abroad? Oh, we recently went to Finland and surprisingly it was probably one of our favorite trips because it was so different. Like a lot of people were like, this is such a, like a different place for you to go. Cause we're always going to summery islands, like water-based places, but Finland was like a snowy winter wonderland. And it was just so different to anywhere we've been that we really enjoyed it. We also really loved the Philippines. And I always say this to people because I don't know many people who actually do travel there because it's a hard place to travel. The food is terrible. If you're trying to eat plant-based, it's hard. But I just, even it's funny, some of the places that have been the hardest for me to eat have been the most memorable and favorite places for me because of the, I don't know, sometimes it's like the bad times, you remember them and you can laugh and look back at them. But it was just so raw. Like the country is so untouched and unwesternized. Yeah. And there's a lot of poverty, a a lot of poverty, but the country and the islands are just so beautiful and the people are so beautiful that, yeah, I really love it there, but God, it's hard to travel. (laughs) When you are traveling, if if you can't find plant-based meal options easily, what what do you do? How do you sort of make sure you're getting enough nutrition each day to, to keep your body feeling good and thriving? I mean, it's hard. That's why we love having Bali as our home base to come back to between trips. And we try to break up our trips so that we can come home and have some routine and have the foods we want to eat. While we're traveling, I mean, sometimes you're going to eat meals that you wouldn't eat ever, but you're going to have to. Not that it's like non-vegan, but it's just not nutritious. Like there's definitely been times where I've eaten a plate of rice with soy sauce. Yeah, which is pretty typical of an Asian place. Yeah, (laughs) or I've snacked on a bag of nuts for the day. Like sometimes it's tough. But there's ways around it and sometimes it's just doing research and, I mean, a lot of the time we'll book a place that has a kitchen and then we'll try to find a local market or local supermarket and cook our own foods And because you can always find some kind of vegetable. Sometimes it's really limited, but you can usually find something. Um, And even at the restaurants, you can usually try to make things different and try to explain to them how you'd like it cooked and get something made for you that is semi-healthy. Yeah. And you, you mentioned that you come back to Bali for your routine, pretty spoiled for choice here yes, in terms very. of plant-based, just really nourishing food. Mm-hmm. You've, you've done some work with Peloton, yes. which is definitely one of my favorite cafes in Changu. So it's, it's amazing. If, yes. anyone, <laughs> if anyone does visit Changu, um, definitely check out Peloton. Yes. Um, I'll actually, we'll have like a list of some, some vegan cafes for people to check out, but that's going to be at the top of the list. Yeah. From your and tell us about Peloton and what you're doing there. And then we can go into some of your, your other sort of favorite places to dine at. So at Peloton, I've done a, like a collab menu with them. So we've got a little menu of four items um, that I've designed and created the recipes for them. And then I've done the styling as well. And then we've just basically got like a little special menu card 
so that people can come in and try some of my recipes. And it's got photos and it tells a little story of like how we met and how we like myself and the owners instantly got along and had so much in common and it developed into this collaborative experience. And I'll be working a lot with them in the future for sure because it's just been such a fun experience. And it's also been a really awesome way for me to connect with some of my followers because I've been able to, people have been able to go there and try my recipes and, you know, send me photos of it or message me. And even when I'm in there eating, you know, I often get approached by people who have come to that cafe because of me because they've seen yeah, it wow. online. And it's amazing. And they're like, oh my God, and I've seen you here too. Like, <laughs> this is so cool. And it's really nice to be able to engage with them like face-to-face rather than just online. Yeah. And I think I had the, is it the Aloha? Aloha Pokey. Aloha Pokey. And that, yeah. was, that was fabulous. So, yeah. okay. So that's, that's Peloton. Definitely yeah. check that out. If you are in Chengdu, it is absolutely amazing. I think it's open for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Yes, it is. Outside of uh, Peloton, where, what, what are your other favorite places to, to dine at? Well, we just went to the Shady Shack. That's one of my other favorites. It's a vegetarian cafe, but they have loads of vegan options and it's amazing. I also really like a new place called Two Trees, which is open. Two up. Trees, yep. it's on my list. Yes, it's good, really good. It's again, it's not it's not vegan or vegetarian, but there's loads of options, and it's just really healthy and fresh. I heard they do a really good chickpea omelet. I think. Yes, I tried that. It's good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> and they have a poke bowl as well with watermelon. Beautiful watermelon poke. It's good. I also really like a place called Kismet up in Ubud. So if you're going up that way, definitely check that out. It's a vegetarian cafe restaurant and it has some really awesome food too. I've actually written, written a whole blog on my favorite okay. places. So so what I'll do <laughs> is not only will I post the, the the sort of top four or five, but I'll put a link there straight to Ellie's blog. So yes. You can get a full summary of where, Lots of pictures too. where to go <laughs> and just really fill up on plant-based food. Yeah, it's honestly the best place I've been for plant-based eating. I always tell this, and people, if they haven't been to Bali, they probably don't understand. They're sort of thinking, oh, do Indonesians eat a lot of vegan food? And I'm like, no, it's actually Western, very westernized, the food. I mean, there is some really good Indonesian vegan meals you can get. But it's actually quite westernized and there's so many healthy cafes. Like it's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, just just I've been coming here for now, I think seven years and Changa's changed a lot. Mm. But what I've noticed this time is literally every second cafe has signs at the front, vegan food, vegan yeah. food, vegan yeah. food. It's like they know that if they don't have it, they're gonna lose some business. Uh-huh. Um, which is a great thing because the demand must be there for yeah. it. And the other interesting thing is that, you know, a lot of the local Indonesian places they I've always been cooking with like tempeh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's tons of tempeh here. So if you and it's so so cheap. Like, so what a block of tempeh in Australia? What does that cost? Looking at anywhere from probably like say Woolworths or Coles. Yeah. Six dollars up to ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Health food stops shops. Some of them are about ten. Yeah. For three hundred grams. In in Bali, when we buy we buy it from a little lady on the side of the street, and we'd buy two blocks of it, and it would cost us. I think it was two thousand a block, which is twenty cents. Yeah, wow. Forty cents for two blocks. So come over to and Bali. And it's fresh. <laughs> and you you need to try this tempeh. Yeah, it's the best tempeh in the world too. Basically free. Yeah, basically. <laughs> okay, so Elsa's wholesome life. You you've got your social media profile, and you're inspiring so many people. You are posting amazing content about plant based nutrition, and no doubt there is thousands, hundreds of thousands of people probably that have either adopted a plant-based lifestyle or mm-hmm. at least living a more plant-based lifestyle and cutting back on some meat. So you're, you're having a really profound impact mm-hmm. um, globally. What and what, what's 
sort of next view in terms of outside of the profile? I know that you've got a website. Can you tell us about that? And and also from a business point of view, what you want to sort of, you know, sink your teeth into? Yep. Um, so at the moment, we've just launched our own website called The Wholesome Store. So that's side from my Elsa's Wholesome Life blog and website. And that's kind of just going to be like a little concept store of all things that I like. So brands I want to collaborate with and, you know, sell their products or design something together or things that I would use to make, you know, for the kitchen to make it easier or for food styling. I'll sell my eBooks, my cookbook. And we're actually going to branch into developing some of our, our own food products down the line. I want to use that platform for that. And then in terms of business, I think I've got my cookbook at the moment, which is, it's only in Australia, but I'm trying to get it international. I'm trying okay. to get it overseas. And where, where can someone in Australia buy that? It's in the, all the big stores. So it's in Kmart, BW, Maya, David Jones, all those bookstores like QBD, um, Dymox, okay. et cetera. And the title is? Elsa's Wholesome Life. Wholesome Life, so yep. you can't miss that. Yeah, it's a pink pink binder and picture of me sitting on a combi. <laughs> and what, what can someone expect? So what's inside? Well, it starts with like a bit of an introduction to plant-based food and goes into all the nutrition stuff because I wanted to use my degree and my knowledge to be able to relay a lot of the information to people. So it's not just giving them the recipes but also giving them a bit of a background for why, a bit of a story about me. And then there's over 100 recipes, plant-based recipes. So you've got breakfast recipes, lunch, dinner, there's treats, snacks, basics, drinks, smoothies, et cetera. Loads sounds, of stuff. Sounds like a, a great book also as like a gift. Yeah. So, you know, I can, from, from my point of view, that's a kind of book I'd give my dad yeah. to yeah. just help him cut back on some of his meat consumption and understand from the nutrition point of view. Yeah. I think that's been one of my favorite feedbacks is the people who have received my book as a gift. And then they've messaged me and found me via that. Like they weren't already following me and they've received my book and then they've found me online and they've reached out to me and told me, you know, I don't eat plant-based but I found your book or I was gifted your book and I've been trying your recipes. They're amazing and you've inspired me. And now I'm eating, you know, a fully plant-based diet or I'm incorporating plant-based foods into most of my meals or, you know, now I can finally get my husband to eat vegan food, like, and he actually enjoys it. So th- that kind of feedback is like what keeps me It's amazing. Passionate. I mean, that's, that's, that's life-changing for people. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I mean, when I did my degree as a dietitian, I did it because I wanted to help people with their nutrition. I didn't plan to do this as a job. And when I sort of finished uni, I reflected on, okay, I'm not going to go apply for a job in a hospital. I'm not going to go be a private practice dietitian and consult one-on-one. I was like, I'm kind of planning to write recipes and blog and travel and, you know, share my life online. I was like, am I kind of throwing my degree away? And I was sort of doubting myself and thinking, what am I doing? Like I've just studied for four years. And then I was thinking about the other day and I thought, well, you know what? Ultimately, a dietitian wants to help people with their diet. And I was like, I'm doing that with my platform. It's not one-on-one with people, like face-to-face meeting with people and, you know, counseling them through making lifestyle changes. I was like, but I feel like I'm reaching more people across the world, even if it's in like the smallest bit. But I feel like that sense of being able to change their life, you know, globally. hundred percent. And I mean, I'm sure there's even dietitians and nutritionists and doctors that are reading your books and recipes and then they're, you know, giving them to their patients yeah. one-on-one. So yeah. there's, there's a, there's an effect on a grand scale. My mom just told me last night, actually, she has this consultant at the hospital she works at and she gave him my cookbook and he came back 
a few months later and he showed her and went, look how much weight I've lost. I've been, you know, I eat Uber Eats every night, but since you gave me that book, I've been making smoothies and cooking for myself. And, you know, I've lost loose weight. Like I'm so stoked. And, you know, that's a consultant. So I'm like, well, if he's then, you know, relaying that onto patients, like it's awesome. Yeah. From your, your new cookbook, what is your favorite recipe? And can you sort of just describe, you know, an overview of how you would make that? Well, my favorite recipe, I always think of this one because it's absolutely my favorite, is my vegan mac and cheese. It's like a way healthier version and it's based with the sauce based of um, pumpkin. So it's like a pumpkin mac and cheese. And basically it's like, it's really simple. You're just literally making the sauce out of cooked pumpkin, cashews and nutritional yeast and a few other bits. And then blending that up to make the sauce, cooking the pasta, steaming up some green vegetables and some spinach and stuff, and then just mixing it all together. Super simple. Sounds but delicious. It's delicious. Sounds like a great recipe for family, for kids as Yeah, well. and it's like a good comfort dish. Like you feel like you're being naughty without, like you're like, I'm eating lots of veggies here, but you feel like, yeah, you feel a bit naughty without feeling bad after. <laughs> okay, so that's your your favorite dish. Now for, for those listening that are thinking about transitioning, well, they might be transitioning at the moment and cutting, mm-hmm. cutting back on some animal products, meat, dairy, fish. What are your top tips in, in in order to make their transition more successful and enjoyable? I think not being too hard on yourself. A lot of people feel like they have to do it overnight and that they have to, you know, completely exclude everything and change their life within a day. And I I think it's a big change. It's a big lifestyle change and there's a lot to learn and to take in. And I think take it as a journey. So, you know, transition slowly if that's the way you want to do it and don't be hard on yourself for doing it that way. Um, getting a good cookbook and, or reading some good blogs and getting some good recipes that you're familiar with cooking and learning how to cook them and then getting confident in the kitchen to develop your own dishes that you like, or, you know, adjusting your, some of your favorite recipes is a good way to then reinforce that you can do it on your own long-term as well as getting someone to do it with you. I think everything's more enjoyable when you've got someone to do it with. So whether it's your housemate or your partner or one of your friends, you know, experimenting together and just like having a bit of a community and even jumping online and connecting with other people who are doing something similar and being able to talk about your experiences, it makes it, makes it a lot more fun. And if, if someone's sort of wanting to get some professional advice, mm-hmm. do you recommend they go and see their doctor or is there a particular dietitian or nutritionist like website or, or how can they sort of get that one if they do want a bit yep. of one-on-one help and guidance yeah i think seeing a dietitian or nutritionist or someone who specializes in the area to get some proper knowledge i mean doctors know a little bit that you might want to get your bloods tested or whatever but i don't think well i know doctors don't actually do much if any nutrition training in their course so you're probably better off getting a referral to see someone who has done the training, which is a dietitian or a nutritionist. I mean, a nutritionist is a bit of a slippery slope because almost anyone can call themselves that. So maybe a dietitian and finding one specializing in that area. Yeah. And I know firsthand you, often if you go to your GP, general practitioner and and request sort of more detailed blood tests, they can be a little apprehensive. So it's nice to sort of get the at least you know, a dietitian or someone to write down on a piece of paper this for your GP, hey, this is what we want to test and we want to see. Definitely. So then you can walk in, show your GP that, and they're like, okay, well, this is coming from someone else. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Ellie, I'd like to thank you very much for making yourself available today in Chengu. 
Thanks for having me. <laughs> the sun is shining, so I'm going to let you go and get outside and yes. enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. I'm, I'm sure, you know, my followers and, and everyone in the Plant Proof community that listens to this is going to be really inspired by your story. Um, you've built a, a huge community. You should be really proud of the effect that you're having uh, on a global scale, as we, we said before. So once again, thank you for doing what you're doing and I'm super excited to see where things go for you in the future. Thanks very much. I've really enjoyed being here. I've listened to your podcast and I really enjoy it. So I'm excited to hear um, progression of your podcast and everything you're doing online as well. Thank you. And that's this week's episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. Connect with myself and the Plant Proof community at plantproof.com and at plant underscore proof on Instagram. Don't forget to sign up to the newsletter to receive our free plant-based nutritional information, including recipes, important blogs, and much more direct to your inbox. Until next time, folks, I'm your host, Simon Hill. Keep your spacesuit plant-proof. <laughs>